on this week's edition of Talking Cinema, the celebration of great black figures in film history concludes that it discussed the life and career of the late director John Singleton and his impactful work on the films Boys in the Hood and Higher Learning. All of this and more on this week's edition of Talking Cinema. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another fun-filled edition of Talking Cinema with your host. That's me, Christoph Hankerson, and I am so excited to be bringing you another episode of film knowledge and information. And before we dive right into today's episode, I just want to say that I sincerely hope that you have found this month's selection of episodes to be not only entertaining, but very insightful and educational, because one of the things that I have learned and one of the things that I have typically discovered from my peers is that they might know a lot about, might think they know a lot about, you know, certain actors and directors and, you know, people behind the scenes that work on films but usually, typically, they only know certain facets of their lives, like what movies that they did or and whatnot. So I sincerely hope that by listening to this podcast series on important Black figures in cinema history, today being the fourth and final part, first of all, if you haven't listened to the first three parts, they're all available on all the various spot podcasting platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, whatever you listen to your podcast on, the first three episodes in this series are on there and can be listened to at any time on any of those major platforms, as well as the other episodes that have been archived, if you want to go back and listen to those as well. But yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed researching and delving deeper into the lives of these various entertainers and producers and directors in Black America. And I've also really enjoyed watching a lot of films about the Black experience this month. I've probably, I have probably, and I'm going to be 27 in a few months, I'm, tw- I'm 26 right now, but I've probably done more by of film watching of Black f- films this month than I've ever done in any Black History Month in my entire life. We're talking all the films that you can think of that depict the Black experience or talk about Black history. I have watched them, you know, Hidden Figures, uh, Color Friendship. I watched, I've even, you know, like I said, the Black experience is vast. So I've watched several successful Black comedies such as Friday and, you know, Coming to America. Obviously we just did the Eddie Murphy episode last week. So, you know, I watched Friday, watched Coming to America. Um, which I'm very much looking forward to the sequel. It'll, it'll be de- it'll be debuting a week from Friday, which is very hard to believe. And I did not, I've seen it before. Big time's running out on this. I did not watch Roots this year. Ah, kicking myself for not watching Roots this year. It's been a long time since I've seen it. I've only seen it once. And I said to myself, man, is it, was this good? Was this eye-opening? But boy, was it ever brutal. Man, did they bring the harsh realities of American slavery to life on the big screen, or excuse me, on the small screen, but in a gruesome way. 
But at the same time, it captivated the hearts and minds of millions of not just Black Americans, but white Americans all across the world for, I want to say, seven to eight nights of television. And, you know, obviously that was in 1976, years before I was born, but the legacy still lives on. And hopefully next year, I'm going to have to probably cross my heart, cross my fingers on this one, but next year I can track down a copy of Roots or from someone and borrow it. If you're if you're out there listening uh, and you have a copy of Roots, feel free to private message me. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I can find it. I was kidding about that part. I can find it on my own via digital, or maybe I can find a find it cheap somewhere like on eBay or Amazon secondhand, or maybe even one of my local stores, Second and Charles, might even have a copy that I can purchase and own and watch it every Black History Month or as many Black History Months as I choose to. But yeah, I just really I just really hope all of you out there have been watching a lot of those documentaries. Selma, I watched that last month. That's excellent. I'm planning on watching 12 Years a Slave at some point this week, along with Sounder. You know, we're kind of kind of wrapping the month up, you know? Just gotta get those last few last few films in that center specifically on black history and yeah, that aspect of the black experience. So, well, without any further ado, we're going to get into the meat of today's episode. And that my friends is about the life and legacy of the late great John Singleton. Now, I, I realize that a lot of people in my audience that are listening right now might, might not have any clue who John Singleton is or the accomplishments that he did during his life and during his career. So I'm going to shed a little bit of light on that, as well as take some time to talk about probably, in my opinion, two of his best works, Boys in the Hood and Higher Learning. I know he's done, he did other films. He did a movie called Juice, which I have not seen, and Poetic Justice, which I've also not seen. wouldn't say that... I mean, Maybe I should at least check those movies out, but I have to be honest with you. Even though I'm a cinephile, I'm still a bit of a critic, and sometimes as a critic, certain films that I see, I'm thinking, okay, maybe I should watch this just to say I've seen it, and then figure out why I don't like it or why I like it, which is what any good critic does, but sometimes it's just certain movies that I look at, I'm like, that doesn't interest me. Like, for example, because I got to be honest with you, you know? I obviously know that I have very various different people that are listening to this podcast, but I didn't grow up. Yes, I'm a black man, but I didn't grow up in the inner city. I grew up in a suburban neighborhood surrounded by mostly white people. I had a few black neighbors here and there, but it was a mostly suburban white neighborhood that I grew up. I grew up going to predominantly white private Christian school. I you know worships at white churches. White college. I mean, most of my growing up was white. But I will say this my mom did want me to have a little bit of the black experience. So it kind of is give me as much balance as possible every Saturday for as long as I can remember, early in the morning or after after my you know, soccer games or baseball games were done. So sometime in the morning, Take me to get my hair cut every two weeks. And let me tell you something. If you've seen the movie Barbershop, 
with Anthony Anderson and Cedric the Entertainer and Ice Cube and all those cats. If you've seen the movie Barbershop, basically a black barbershop. If you go into a black barbershop, I'm basically talking to my <laughs> my white audience out there, which I mean, that's I feel like that's most of the people that listen to this podcast. But either way, if you were to go, if you go into a black barbershop, you're going to hear a lot of cursing. A lot of trash talk about sports, specifically basketball and football. Not too much about baseball, even though there are baseball fans that go into these shops. But you're going to hear a lot of talk about basketball and football, especially, (laughs) you know, (laughs) from Cowboys fans. Because they always like to run their mouths, even though they haven't won a playoff game in 26 years. So two playoff games in 26 years. But you're going to hear all of that. But at the same time, you got to hear a heart. You know, a barber, in my experience, he wasn't just someone that cut your hair. He was a counselor. He was a mentor. He was a friend. He was sometimes your lawyer, sometimes a a preacher even, if he was a Christian. Just giving you all kinds of different life advice. You know, this is what you should do here. This is what you shouldn't do there. (laughs) And, you know, all, all of that to say. That was my main source of the Black experience. And, you know, I'm, I'm thankful. I'm grateful for it because I met some great people in the barber shop. Don't remember any of their names, obviously, but I do remember my barber. And, you know, he was a good dude. Good dude. Always, uh, <laughs> always made sure my haircut was, was great because, I don't know, they just know, brothers know how to get it right. Anyways, we're going to get, we're going to get into... A man who also captured the black experience on film, and that's Mr. John Singleton. So John Singleton was born January 6, 1968. He was raised in inner city Los Angeles, whereabouts, I believe, it was around either Compton or South Central Los Angeles. And his love of movies. So everyone's got a story. Every director, producer, actor, makeup artist, anybody that's involved in film in any way, shape, or form has a story as to how they got involved with film and how they wanted to do it for a living, how they came to that conclusion. For John Singleton, it was for him, his love for film was sparked after he watched the original Star Wars. This would have been A New Hope, 1977, the OG, the original. And he also, as far as his him wanting to be a director, he cited Steven Spielberg. Yes, the man himself, the man behind Jaws and Jurassic Park and Back to the Future as one of his biggest inspirations to go into directing films himself. Couldn't think of a better person to be inspired by, as I as I mentioned. I mean, that man's behind so many classics. I named three of them right there. You know, add Indiana Jones to that list. E.T., even though I'm not the biggest fan of that movie. Goonies. That man's that man has his stamp on a lot of the most important and influential films of our time, which oddly enough, a lot of those films came out around the same time over the course of various years. So yeah. Star Wars and Steven Spielberg is what did it for him. And actually, one thing that I found out that was interesting about John Singleton's life is that even though he grew up in the inner city, because his family wasn't able to actually quite afford to take him to the movies all the time, he can only go ever so often, convenient enough for him, he had a drive-in movie theater that was literally right behind his house, and he could see different films from his bedroom window. 
I always thought it'd be really cool to live behind a, a drive-in movie theater. I never knew that anyone did until I did some research on Mr. John Singleton. So I, I just thought, wow, he actually lived behind a drive-in movie theater and he could actually see different movies playing, you know, day in and day out, night in and night out. How cool was that? How cool was that? I definitely think that would have inspired me to go into film myself if I saw that every day. But yeah. And as far as, so this is obviously Black History Month and, you know, we're celebrating a lot of the achievements of different Black Americans across various walks of life. And film is no different. Film is no different. In 1992, John Singleton, he made some Black history by becoming the youngest director at 24 years old. He was 24 years old. He became the youngest director to be nominated for the Academy Award for Best Director at the Oscars. And he was the first African-American, there's where Black History comes in, to be nominated for the award. And since then, four directors, four Black directors have been nominated for a Best Director Oscar at the Academy Awards. But John Singleton, he was the first. He was the pioneer. He was the trailblazer. Which brings us to Boys in the Hood. Wow. Talk about making an entrance. Talk about making a powerful statement for your first film. I mean, you think a movie like Boys in the Hood, the way he made it, how 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 powerful he made it, it had been something that he would have made later in his career after, you know, cutting his teeth on lesser projects, directing episodes of television or maybe directing cheap low budget made-for-TV movies that you'd see on the Saturday afternoon matinee when you had nothing else to do. That's where you you think John Singleton would have done stuff like that, but no, he came in guns blazing. It's like, all right, here's, here's, here's the reality of what life in the hood is like. Here's what my reality was like growing up, and boom, I'm going to show it to all of America, for all of America to see, because all of America needs to see what life in the hood is like. And there goes Boys in the Hood, which, if you look at it, so early 90s, at that point, typically a lot of black films were more in the comedic genre. So, you know, you had movies like Eddie Murphy's comedies, Beverly Hills Cop Trilogy, which at that point were only two films, Harlem Nights, Eddie's stand-up specials. Coming to America, there weren't at that point, there wasn't a whole lot of films depicting what was going on in the lives of African Americans from a serious standpoint. There weren't a whole lot of inner city films at that point. And I believe before Boys in the Hood came out, memory serves me correctly, the film New Jack City came out. But there is a difference there. That was organized crime. Wesley Snipes was the leader of an organized gang of criminals. And Ice-T was actually playing a cop in that movie. People, people forget about that. Ice-T was actually a cop before he was in Law & Order SVU. But that film was different. Not only was it East Coast, it wasn't set in the inner city. It was more organized crime. Think the black version of Goodfellas. That's basically what New Jack City was, just not quite as good. Sorry for those of you that are listening that might love New Jack City and think it's a great movie, but it's not as good as Goodfellas. Goodfellas is one of the greatest films of all time. Anyways, and one of the films that I say anybody, everybody should watch at least once in their lifetime. Anyways, Boys in the Hood, it I 
I firmly believe if you look at that time period, which is why I think it's important that straight out of Compton be viewed as well. You know, a lot of gangster reality rap was being was becoming very popular. Now, I'm not sitting here endorsing the genre. Personally, I'm actually not a huge fan of the genre because it's so real, so raw, so in your face. I mean, I can appreciate the reality of it, but it's just, it's a bit much for me and a lot of other people. I'm like, wow, I understand you live that way, but man, you have to, <laughs> you have to put all of that in your songs? But a lot of that, and a lot of those groups like the NWA and the Wu-Tang Clan were releasing songs which in their eyes you know it was you know it was a reflection of their art of what they were of what they were growing up around of what you know when they would walk out of their of their houses sometimes just going down to the convenience store could turn into an epic standoff or a drive-by shooting or you know someone gets mugged or someone gets beaten up rough things that those of us who grew up in the suburbs didn't really have to deal with a whole lot kids in your cities dealt with and that's where Boys in the Hood kind of came in. It was released in the summer of 91. And oddly enough, it was actually released a few months after the beating of Rodney King by four armed police officers. So that happened in March of 91. I know everybody's thinking, but didn't that happen in 92? It's like, nope, March of 91, Rodney King was beat. 13 months. It took 13 months for those police officers to go on trial and everything and that to be finalized. And fortunately that led to the riots in April of 92, tons of documentaries about that that are out hard to believe next year. will be 30 years since the riots happened. And this year it's been 30 years next month since Rodney King was beaten. Which also means Boys in the Hood is 30 years old this year. So how fitting is that we talk about this movie, but it was released five months after that beating and it's as real as real gets. In fact, Boys in the Hood was such a realistically made film. I mean, everything, the style, the aesthetics, everything. It was literally set on location and filmed on location in South Central Los Angeles, which actually inspired other filmmakers of future inner city dramas that would come out later in that era. Because early 90s, like I said about the gangster and the reality rap inspiring Boys in the Hood, the success of Boys in the Hood inspired a lot of other filmmakers other than John Singleton to get out there and say, hey, we want to tell our story, you know, but maybe from a different way. You know, you had films like, you know, Menace to Society, which was done by the Hughes Brothers, another brilliantly done film. Graphic, not one you want to watch all the time, but I think at least, at least one viewing would suffice, in my opinion. But you had that film. You had, I believe, South Central. I, I haven't seen that movie all the way through. I've seen bits and pieces of it, but you, know, you had South Central. And, you know, those are the darker sides. And then, thankfully, Friday came out in 95 was done by Ice Cube and <laughs> he wrote the film. He didn't direct, he wrote the film. And thankfully we got to see a lighter side of life in the inner scene, which believe it or not, Friday is one of those films, is one of the quote unquote hood movies, because hood movies is an actual genre of film that is popular across many different demographics. It's not just blacks that love and embrace the film, but man, I'm it's a several white folks that love the movie Friday and quoted constantly. I mean, the whole by Felicia movement that came from this movie. So anyways, so boys in the hood was a, a big film. It was not only was it John Singleton's directorial debut, but it was the first major film role for the stars ice cube, Cuba Gooding jr. Who would go on to win an, an Academy award for his performance, Jerry McGuire, Neil Long, 
and more chestnut as well. It was a it was a big big time coming out party for Angela Bassett and Lawrence Fishburne, who played the parents in this film. And this was actually, you know, when I was thinking about this movie, this was actually, to my knowledge, one of the few inner city films that has two parents, even though the mom and the dad, you know, played by Angela Bass and Lawrence Fishburne, respectively, even though they were separated, they were seen and depicted as positive role models that wanted the best for their son, Trey, who was played by Cuba Gooding Jr. And so there are really, this movie is brilliant. I mean, it from the opening scene to the final credits, it it really has you on edge. And there are some scenes in this film that I think are just ones that stick with you. And one of them was the fatal drive-by shooting of Morse Chestnut's character, Ricky, who was the brother of Ice Cube's character, Doughboy. And that kind of, that narrative, I believe, was kind of spawned by the whole Cain and Abel thing, where, you know, one brother was jealous of the other, and they didn't quite kill each other, but they still fought and didn't really get along. You know, Ricky, he had a future, had scholarships, had, even had the brains and whatnot, got good good. ACT scores, SAT scores, and had people come and look at him, whereas his brother, Ice Cube, Doughboy, you know, he was wanting to be the Billy Bad Guy, the neighborhood tough gang leader, ring leader. And unfortunately, him wanting to be who be who he was led to Ricky getting shot. And you know, that film, that that part in the movie was actually shot in one take. I mean, not only was it, regarding the gunshots, they were actually real. I mean, no one actually got killed on set, but the gunshots were 100% real and the actors were not warned about this. And and him getting killed, I, I, that's just, that's just very eye-opening. I feel like for anybody that that grew grew up in white suburban America, that's just eye-opening. It's like, wow, you know, just because his brother said something to one of those gang members while they were hanging out and having fun, you know, instigating something, it leads to his brother getting killed. Wow. I mean, in our circles, usually people just get beat up for talking smack. They don't get shot in a drive-by in their neighborhood because of turf war. But he did. And man, that's just powerful. That's just so great. And another another brilliant scene that I love in this film is Furious, which was played by Lawrence Fishburne. We all know from The Matrix. He warned Trey, and you know, right after he'd seen his best friend get killed, had his best friend, it's just a powerful image, his best friend's blood all over him. Witnessed that brutal shooting. He warned him though, when he when he was ready to take a gun, he was ready to go go meet up with Doughboy and the boys and Take out those gang members later that night in the film. He warned him not to give into the vicious cycle of street violence. He said, he told him specifically, you know, that's their family. That's their problem. You're my son. You're my problem. And I say you should not go and do this. We're going to be no better than the guys that killed your best friend. You're going to be just like him. You're going to keep repeating this vicious and endless cycle. And, and, and one of the more powerful lines in the film, he tells him, you're my only son, and I'm not going to lose you to a bullet. I'm just thinking, man, wow, this, wow, that's, that, that, that's, that's just incredible. That, that's just incredible. And obviously you have the ending, 
And the tagline in the film says, this ain't no fairy tale. And boy, were they right about that because I know I might be spoiling it for some of you that have never seen it before, but it is a 30-year-old movie, so it's your fault for not expanding and broadening your horizon by having watched the film already. But obviously Trey and his girlfriend, who was played by Nia Long, they both ended up going to very prominent black colleges in the Atlanta area. Trey went to Morehouse. Brandy goes to Spellman and Ice Cube's character Doughboy, unfortunately, within two weeks after after burying his brother, gang life, the cycle of violence that caught up with him, and you know, there's that. <laughs> so yeah, man, Boys in the Hood, excellent film. It's one of those movies that I firmly think every single American should watch at least once in their lifetime. I know it's graphic. I know the language is not the best, but, you know, that's life in the inner city. And it's not sugarcoated. And it's a wonderful film. I, I, I firmly believe it. And, wow. So it looks like... <laughs> So we're not going to have a whole lot of time to talk about higher learning, but I'll just briefly touch on it. I had, it was released in January of 95, and it centers on racial tensions that go on at a public university. Omar Epps, Christy Swanson, Michael Rappaport, Ice Cube once again, he's in it. Re Regina King, the wonderfully talented Regina King, who plays Watchmen on HBO, she's also in it. And... I think it's worth checking out because the themes of race and racism are very well portrayed in this film. And unfortunately, where we are in 2021 in certain parts of America, this is still something that we're still constantly having to fight on both sides. And, you know, I just wanted to briefly touch on one scene in the movie. Not too much. I don't think it's too much of a spoiler. So basically, Michael Rappaport, who is actually probably... <laughs> he's more and his his personality is as close to Eminem as it would be to a white supremacist. But in this movie, he was rejected. He tried to make friends, but he was rejected by pretty much everyone who's seen as an outcast. And then eventually, some neo-Nazi skinheads, specifically the leader of the gang, he sees him. He takes him in. He befriends him. Brainwashes him. Tells him that whites are superior. You know, he wants him to be smart, but he's like obviously telling him all this white power BS and all Remy wanted to do. All he wanted to do, escape from Idaho, all he wanted to do was come to college, be an engineer, and be accepted. And unfortunately, because he was not accepted by people in general, it caused him to turn violent, turn hateful, because the wrong people, he was accepted by the wrong people, the skinheads. And unfortunately, the vicious cycle, the violence, and the the mind control that these white supremacists had on him it took its toll on him after he realized everything that he'd done. He killed a, killed a couple of people and obviously, unfortunately, he ended up killing himself. Yeah, I know it's a spoiler, but it's an old movie. Hopefully, it won't spoil too much for you. There's other great parts in the movie, but I just wanted to briefly touch on that because, you know, people always want to say, you know, race, you no, know, people are born racist. People are, racism is taught and not, and, Another thing to keep in mind, these weren't his parents that were teaching him this. At least not that we know of. Racism isn't always taught by your parents. Sometimes you pick it up from your peers. You pick it up from the people that you hang around. And unfortunately, in, in Michael Rappaport's character's case, that's where it happened. You picked it up from those dumb neo-Nazi skinheads and 
didn't end well for him at all. But yes, Higher Learning is another one of his wonderful film of John Singleton's films that you should check out. And it's been hard to believe, but it's been almost two years since we lost him. He passed away on April 28, 2019, the young age of 51. But as I've mentioned with the brief touch up on Higher Learning and my thoughts that I just gave you, you know, on Boys in the Hood, the powerful mess messages that his films had as is the case with anybody involved with film, they're gonna live on forever. And they're gonna outlive all of us as the lessons that if you actually sit down and engage your mind in what's going on, the lessons that you can glean from these films, they're timeless and will remain timeless from generation to generation. So yeah, that is the life of John Singleton, a man who, did a lot in a very short time. All right, folks, we're going to take a short break, but we'll be back to wrap things up right after this. Well, that's all the time that we have for our show this week. If Remember, if you enjoy what you listen to, you can feel free to subscribe on all the various major podcasting platforms that I mentioned earlier in the show. We're on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts, more than likely find it, listen to it, download it, subscribe as well. If you remember, if you enjoy what you listen to, feel free, if you haven't already, to Give a like on the Facebook page and get the word out. Continue, keep spreading the word out to your family and your friends like films. And for Talking Cinema, this is your host, Christoph Hankerson. Until next week, saying goodbye and see you next time.